Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM and RadioNorthland.org. Flying solo this week, I'm Glenn Broggett. Yes, indeed, uh, the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy is out on assignment. But that's okay, because uh, it gives me time this week to bring in a special guest. And I've been waiting to chat with this guy for some time. I've been following him uh, throughout his uh, career, last few years, and uh, the ups and downs, the ride that he's been on. Uh, And I'm also uh, just finding out here, not all that long ago, that he's going to be back up in his homeland. He's back up in uh, the great country of Canada. Uh, He's here and ready to go. He's been a part of pro wrestling uh, for quite some time. He started in his teens, for God's sake. We're going to hear his pro wrestling story. We're going to hear why it's going to be, uh, well, I heard from the weatherman, why it's going to be an early cruel summer for a few people up there in the, uh, uh, up in the provinces. I am going to be bringing him in. It's good to have him on the hot shot back in Canada. Danny Duggan, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic besides being back in Canada. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was quite enjoying my, my relocation to the United States of America and secretly maybe hoping to get back down there a little sooner than later. Okay, yeah. I mean, you uh, spent a lot of time in the United States, uh, of course, when uh, the whole thing going with all of the, the various rules and stuff that went with, with COVID and all of that. And, uh, I mean, when the COVID thing hit, I mean, that, that really impacted a lot of people, including those like yourself who are a full function and running operating pro wrestler who also wrestles but runs a pro wrestling company. Uh, can you take us back to when that impacted you and just what it meant to, to just have all of those things just basically stop and then what you had to do not only as a pro wrestler but also as a family man to keep uh, yourself alive and keep yourself going? Well, I don't like to go back and uh, you know re- reflect on that time too. <laughs> it wasn't a great time uh, whatsoever, but it was definitely a time that I would never have guessed would have happened in our lifetime. And uh, when things started to slow down, and when COVID started to hit, you know, just before that, you know, we're doing about 125 live events a year as an organization here in CWE, and I was doing about 200 dates with those included uh, with my independent wrestling schedule across Canada and the United States. So I was living on the road more so than I was living at home. And that completely came to a halt. Um, I recall the last event I did in the United States was in March 2020, was in Philadelphia. And there was, a, you know, we were just out, we were in a county just outside Philadelphia, and they got their first reported case. And there was just hysteria on if we should go ahead with this event and what it meant and if people were going to be put at risk by coming to a wrestling show that night. And it definitely affected the attendance on that night. And that one was just beginning. I flew back home, and everything pretty much came to a halt days later. And um, you know, when it first started, I didn't think it was real, you know, not to the extent it would become most definitely. I thought, okay, this thing will, you know, ride its course in the next couple of weeks and we'll get back to business. Um, as we had a 38 day tour lined up just weeks later, it was supposed to be the biggest one we've ever done in Canadian wrestling's elite history. It was going to span from Vancouver all the way to Montreal, which had never been done in Canadian wrestling history before. Um, we were ecstatic. The company was growing at a rapid pace. We had stars coming in from 10 different countries, former WWE headliners, Ring of Honor stars, Impact stars. Uh, We were very spoiled with how uh, big it was becoming here in Canada. And at the snap of a finger, it all just came kind of crashing down. So we had to kind of just wait it out a little bit. And that's kind of what we did kind of with the rest of the world, just kind of wait to see what was happening next and where we can go from there. And unfortunately, it would be quite a while, especially here in Canada, that had some of the most strict strict, uh, COVID restrictions and mandates that completely prevented live events from taking place for the majority of 2020. Uh, so we had to kind of shift to doing, you know, no, no audience events out of our training facility and live stream those online. Uh, you know, later that year, we got clearance to do a couple live events in certain regions of the country, but we're capped at 100 people maximum, which is not nearly enough to operate at a full capacity. Uh, so it was it was definitely a shift. So we kind of just, you know, we, we took a hit, you know, wrestlers as a whole, the industry as a whole. You know, and I know a lot of people, including myself, had to kind of look for work where you could on the side. And that was even limited because so many businesses were shut down and there wasn't a lot of opportunity for employment that way as well. So it was all just all just one big bang that kind of shook everybody across the board that were now luckily just kind of coming out of. We just ran our first events. Um, in Canada at full capacity a month ago. So over two years later, we're finally back at full capacity. And that's part of why I did go to the United States, like we mentioned earlier, because things have been open a lot sooner and, yeah. and, and more freely down there. 
so that's kind of where we're at now. We're just kind of getting started again and, and seeing where we can get this thing rolling to. Mm-hmm. Now, while you were in the United States, you had a chance to kind of sample some uh, some more pro wrestling, some more pro wrestling companies. Could you talk a little bit about some of the places you were able to work uh, in, the, in the States? Uh, uh, a guy who was on our program a couple of times, Greg Anthony, uh, I, I saw something about you might have worked one of his shows. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done quite a few events for Greg over the years, most recently in December. He was one of the first places I stopped in when I got down to the United States and was kind of locating myself out of there temporarily. Uh, I've, I think I've been working on and off for Greg now, I think, for, you know, three, four years. I've been down there a couple times prior to the pandemic shutting down, and um, I absolutely love Greg, and I absolutely love pro wrestling Mid-South. Um, you know, much like yourself, I'm an old-school pro wrestling fan that's that's what my heart bleeds is old school pro wrestling and in the heart of tennessee they still love and believe their old school professional wrestling so for myself is that that style of performer uh to be able to go down there and integrate myself into that that pro wrestling and it be so prominent still and and so so believed by the people is just an absolute treat and what i absolutely live for as a professional wrestler so i always always enjoy going down there and I, I got the opportunity to do so i think i think i did three days for greg in december he had his two weekly events in dyersburg and ripley and then he actually was doing a weekly show out of memphis tennessee every monday night so that was kind of a bucket list for myself as i got to wrestle in memphis for the first time ever um, i've been down to tennessee multiple times over the years but never got to wrestle in the historic city of memphis tennessee itself so i was uh, very very excited about that opportunity got to go check out beale street just down the street from where the call see him was um so just to be able to step foot in a, a city such with such rich wrestling history was a, a true honor for myself and one i'm very appreciative for mm-hmm. did you work did you work a show in ohio valley while you were in there yeah i sure did uh that was a kind of a, an interesting story at that as well i wrestled for ohio valley the day before i did those three days for greg in december and that actually ended up kind of being a bit of a controversial event for myself um as i'd worked for ohio valley wrestling years prior uh, probably about a decade prior when it was under different management. So I was excited to be getting down to the U.S. and just kind of opening up some new doors again and getting some new opportunity. And luckily, Ohio Valley Wrestling was one of those places that presented one for me. And I uh, had a little bit of a medical mishap at that event. Uh, we were supposed, I was wrestling in the opening match on a live TV special against one of their champions. And it was you know, a great opportunity and platform for myself to kind of establish myself with the organization and hopefully provide future opportunity moving forward. And about a minute into that match, it, literally 60 seconds into that match, I went to duck underneath a leapfrog, and I collapsed. I, I literally collapsed to the mat, went out cold, unconscious, oh something that's never happened to me before in my career, and luckily never since. Um, so it was, quite, it was quite surreal and quite a scary moment. You know, as I had my wife and child there with me mm-hmm. on the trip, and uh, just for something like that to happen, um, where you just completely go out cold, uh, and kind of wake up and not know where you are, not have any understanding of what happened, and then you kind of look around and there's a full building of wrestling fans. You're in a wrestling ring. Uh, it was quite a scary situation, and and luckily minutes later I was completely fine and and went to the hospital that evening and got multiple tests done and everything came back clear. So it's just kind of a freak accident uh, that they believe could be attributed to just elevated blood pressure. I've uh, been traveling all day that day, I think about nine, ten hours to get to the show in Louisville. Literally had to go right from the car into my wrestling gear, into the room. Didn't really have time to warm up or stretch or, or get too accustomed to my environment. So just just the combination of it all, they believe maybe with the hot lights and the hot room, just uh, it all kind of came together. And just, with, you know, the pace you're going at a wrestling match at full velocity like that just trying to hit me at the right time and went to go down and went to get back up and the body said, no, you're not. <laughs> so unfortunately that match didn't quite turn out as way as hoped um, as I was really looking forward to that opportunity and that opponent because we did definitely have a good one on deck. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping once things open back up again and I get back down to America, we can do a do-over on that one. Oh, yeah, I am sure. I mean, the opportunities that you've made for yourself down in the United States and the connections you've made uh, just in the state of Minnesota, I might add, uh, is just amazing in and of itself. We're hoping to get you back. Uh, I mean, you worked uh, just recently, not all that long ago, you worked a show in um, North Dakota. Am I correct on that? In, in that? Yeah, most definitely. I was in Valley City, North Dakota, and that was a place I'd stopped many times before for a previous organization. And I was just there, I believe, in the middle of March. And that was a, a definitely a, an interesting one for me as well. As I was in a very rare 
parkour match, which is something you will not see Hotshot Danny Duggan's name attached to very often. Uh, but that's that's what they called for on that night, and that's exactly what they got. So they got a little bit of a little bit of the wild side of myself, and uh, definitely a match that I I think for some reasons definitely have a lot more respect and appreciation for the wrestlers that can wrestle to that intensity with that violence because even after just one night of doing it, and I think I came out on the better end of that match. Uh, more so than my opponent. I was definitely feeling the effects and had scars and cuts and bruises to go with that match for a couple of weeks after the fact. So those guys that do it, I tip my hat to them. Those are some tough men. Mm, oh, most definitely. So we're going to get into uh, what's been going on uh, with uh, CWE, but I want to give the fans uh, who might not know uh, uh, as much about your backstory as I. Uh, you come from the town, uh, what a, a pro wrestling town Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada is. And, you know, growing up uh, here in, well, I grew up in Lake Bronson, Minnesota. So I grew up watching a lot of the, the, the Canadian television, the Canadian music, all of that, and a lot of pro wrestling. And I remember my earliest memory were watching AWA from the Winnipeg feed uh, from CKND. And I also remember uh, some of the West 4 stuff that Tony Candelo did uh, and uh, continued to do with guys into the uh, all the way into the 90s. So, I mean, you grew up in a, a town that was brimming with pro wrestling uh, history. Uh, what was it like? When did pro wrestling come into your life? And what, what was that moment that, 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 that bit you and, and kept you? Oddly enough, I just missed the AWA boom. Um, oh. I was born in 1987, so by the time I was kind of coherent and able to understand what was going on and what was in front of me, the AWA had just closed shop. Uh, my first wrestling memories come from about 1990, 1991, and I can remember them vividly to this day. My first, my first memories that I can place on this planet are three years old watching Hulk Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter in the WWF when, when Sergeant Slaughter <laughs> became a turncoat on oh, America yeah. and became an Iraqi sympathizer. <laughs> And those are my earliest memories on this planet. And ever since that day, you know, my parents wouldn't call it, you know, a hobby. They would call it an obsession. Um, I call it a passion. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's been pro wrestling every day of my life since then, and it hasn't changed. Um, you know, from that day watching it forward, I was hooked. And that's that's what my life became and my life purpose became. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's really unfortunate because I, I am a wrestling historian on love the history of pro wrestling we talked about. I like old school professional wrestling. So unfortunately I just missed that AWA boom, but being so involved in pro wrestling here in the community, the way I have been as an active performer now for almost 20 years and now a promoter of over 13, you know, you talk to a lot of people about pro wrestling, whether it be ticket buying fans or people operating businesses or venues, things of that nature. So I've had hundreds of discussions across this province over the last 20 years about the AWA and it's amazing the impression that it left on people still to this day. Um, it, it's very hard to find somebody who grew up in that era when AWA was on television and frequenting the Winnipeg Arena that don't have a positive memory of watching the AWA growing up that just leaves them gleaming with a smile as they retell it and bring up the names of the past that they remember watching. And it's, a, it's really cool that the, it had that big of an impact here. And I've been able to kind of relive it, so to speak, through so many different people's eyes and mouths over the years and they retell their stories and we connect and start talking pro wrestling. Have you ever sat under the learning tree of Bob Holiday? Because, I mean, he had such a connection with uh, AWA up there uh, for quite some time. I, I've, I've never sat under the learning tree, per se, but I've definitely met Bob on multiple occasions. It's not, it's not, it's not too uncommon if there's a big wrestling event going on in town and you're not going to see Bob Holiday too far from it, even to this day. So he's, he's, still, he's still around you know, all these years later, and definitely one of the you know the driving influences to, to the AWA success and the WWF success over the years here in the '90s and forward. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get a, get together with him and ILO one of these times, just to have those guys kind of share some some stories uh, from the, the various uh, generations of, of pro wrestling involvement. Uh, man, that is some 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 good good stuff. And how okay? Now you grew up. Your first your first memories of life was pro wrestling. But what made it? What what made you decide to get into the ring? I mean, how did you get involved in pro wrestling? What was that connection? That end that got you into the training 
and, and we can we talk a little bit about that because I'm looking. We uh, the name Tomahawk Gene Swan comes up in your bio, man, and I totally go back to the WFWA, the West Four Wrestling Alliance of Candelo, and not only Gene Swan but Bruce Swan. But tell us a little bit about how this became more than just liking something to actually going in in pursuit of pro wrestling. Were you uh, a, a very ath- active athletic type in, in in high school? What was it? What was it that brought you there? And, and what did you bring to the party when you decided to become a pro wrestler? Well, I think I, I, I wish I could go back in time and, and remember exactly when I said this is what I'm going to do because maybe I could talk myself out of it. I'm walking <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, but it's just always been implanted in my head. That is what I'm going to do. There's never any other thought of I'm going to be a firefighter or a hockey player or, or a doctor. It was always I want to be a pro wrestler. I was always just fascinated by the, the whole atmosphere of pro wrestling and everything that it brought, that there was never any question that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that you remember watching WFWA and local wrestling on TV, because that's exactly what got me involved, was just a chance commercial I saw on local television that introduced me to local professional wrestling that otherwise I didn't know existed. Uh, so you, we talk about, uh, you know, I, I, I played different sports in, in high school and, and uh, sorry, in junior high school and, and things of that nature, but I started wrestling when I was still in junior high school. So once I started doing that, I kind of put the rest of any athletics on the back burner. Uh, not that I felt in any of them specifically, but it was pro wrestling or nothing. So once I had my foot in the door with that, that's exactly what I always wanted to do. Uh, but I can, I can remember like yesterday, I was 12 years old. I was watching the, you know, up here in Canada, we didn't have, uh, TNT and TBS unless you had specialty cable packages which very few people had up this way mm-hmm. so we got our WCW programming like on a multiple day delay on CTV which is the Canadian channel here up in oh. Canada um, which the WFWA used to air on. Absolutely, uh, Sunday afternoons Yes sir So this was a Saturday afternoon this is when they would do a rerun of Monday Nitro they would oh. do it on Saturday afternoons at 12pm and I was watching. I was watching my my Nitro rerun on Saturday from the, or the previous <laughs> Monday, and just by chance, there was a commercial for a local wrestling school, River City Wrestling, with the the big the big the big pitch. If you have a dream of becoming a professional wrestler, give this number a call. So that was music to my twelve year old ears. That's all I ever wanted to do, and that's all I was ever going to be. So I wrote that number down at around twelve o'clock that afternoon, and I put it away because I knew I wasn't going to be having that discussion with my parents because they would not be allowing me to make that phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so I waited till later that evening when they were long in bed and fast asleep. It was probably you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I you know, rang up this phone number that I collected on television earlier in the day. And oddly enough, the promoter answered the phone. This is back when he had landlines. So that landline went right to his house. And he picked up the phone and was probably a little perturbed on how... Uh, you know, a young man so young was calling him at that hour. But I told him I saw his wrestling commercial and I wanted to become a professional wrestler. Um, you know, probably sensing I had no testosterone in my voice at 12 years old. Yet, he realized I was a little too young to be partaking in the wrestling <laughs> program. But he was very gracious and very kind to give me an opportunity to come down and help out at the local events, which I didn't know existed previous to this commercial. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, was was very kind. He gave me the opportunity to come down. I was ringing the bell. I was bearing ring jackets to the back, setting up chairs, just all the little small jobs that need to be done at a wrestling show you need extra hands for. So I kind of got involved very, very young. They were doing a show every two weeks out of a local community center at that time. So every two weeks, my parents would drive me across town, and I would go and get my local wrestling fix and fantasize about how one day I was going to do it too. So, you know, after a couple of years of, of doing that, um, you know, I started training to referee at about 14 years old. And I did that for about a year, year and a half. And once I started refereeing, then I started training to wrestle. Um, my initial training was just is very informal. It was just before the events, before these local events that I'm talking about, we'd get down there early and whoever the veteran in charge of the crew was at the time would be putting people through the paces and then running wrestling classes. They didn't have a full-time facility at the time. So I started training to do that. And uh, I was 15 years outside of my 16th birthday when somebody didn't show up to an event and I just so happened to have my gear and I was ready to go. So I got the call to do my first match on January 8, 2003 and uh, just kept on going from there. And after a couple months of, of wrestling, you know, I realized very quickly as a lifelong fan, even though I was young and still naive, I realized I wasn't doing it to the level I was watching it on television or to the level of the guys that were really good locally because I hadn't completed or finished my training yet. So that's when I was lucky enough to connect with Gene Swan, 
who then, you know, three, four months into my early career, took me on in his wrestling school because he did have a full-time facility. And I trained with him five days a week for the rest of that year until I was completed and ready to go while still actively wrestling and still taking bookings at the same time. So I kind of got the best of both worlds of training and being able to implement it in live action every week on live events as well. So he was uh, very instrumental to kind of get me where I was going. Mm-hmm. Is there any, uh, aside from Gene Swan, was there any uh, anybody else as far as uh, wrestlers who were around to kind of uh, uh, lend an ear or give you some good advice, uh, guys that helped you out uh, with some pointers and stuff too? I mean, it takes sometimes just a few little things here and there that you pick up as you're developing, but who were some of those other guys that were uh, around that were uh, a big help to you as far as molding you and forming you into the, the wrestler you eventually worked, found your way to? One of the names that sticks out to me immediately is a, a man by the name of Pitbull Carey Brown, oh, who yes. was the, the nephew of Bulldog Bob Brown. And I was very lucky when I was 16, 17 years old. I shouldn't have been anywhere near a wrestling ring in terms of you know my size, my ability, um, you know, still being very green and just learning the business. I definitely look like a child still, uh, but I was very lucky to get the opportunity to go on tour every single day for you know weeks a part of the year that early in my life and that early in the career and work with Kerry Brown every night and at that point Kerry had wrestled all over the world he was a stampede wrestling legend oh, yeah. you know very synonymous down in you know the Kansas territory wrestling in Japan um, and just an incredible incredible talent that I wasn't aware of at the time in terms of, you know, what he meant to pro wrestling and the legacy he had, you know, that I wouldn't truly be able to understand and appreciate till I, you know, learned more about the business myself and who he was. But even at the time, just wrestling with him, knowing that he was somebody who was somebody um, who had these opportunities in the past, it was such an incredible opportunity. And he's somebody that could have just ate me alive every single night you know, on the road and in the ring, um, but was beyond gracious in, in teaching um, you know, teaching um, every single stop. And there's still to this day, like even the last, I, I, you know, wrestling last week, there's still advice that he gave to me nearly 20 years ago that I still pass on regularly to to guys now that I find that was invaluable and, and really effective and is kind of a lost art today. Um, but he was such a brilliant heel. And there was no, but I, I don't know if I've ever been in the ring with anybody as good as him at eliciting such, a negative response from the audience. Um, it was truly magic. Uh, he, he can get in front of any audience and at the snap of a finger have that place wanting to kill him. Literally, people coming out of their seats trying to fight him. It was it was amazing to be in the ring and be a part of. And he was such a convincing heel. There were times I wrestled with him. He had me convinced that he was going to kill me. And he was nothing but ever professional and nothing but you know you know completely safe the entire time. But he would get this crazy look in his eye and he was so convincing at what he did that you know like like i said he'd have me believing never mind the people um so he's somebody i really attribute to to really kind of teaching me and guiding me on the right path early on in my career that i don't know if i would have got as far ahead as i did as early as i did if it wasn't for that invaluable advice um so he's someone that jumps out at uh, you know early on and then secondly uh, he's the second guy i, I credited my trainer and that's the guy by the name of hotshot johnny divine oh yeah um Another Stampede Wrestling uh, guy who was in TNA for multiple years, uh, former X Division champion there. He he was wrestling for TNA in 2003 through 10 there, but I think it was in 2004 or 5. He was involved in an out-of-the-ring incident where he ended up getting stabbed. So he had to take some time off, and um, he's Canadian, but he was living down in Nashville, and our, our health care is free, so it was much better for him to come on up here and, sure. and get his surgery that he needed done from, from the wound on that than it was to, to do it down in the U.S. So he came back to Canada for, you know, I believe just under a year. This was in 2006. So I've been wrestling for about three years at this point and, and doing very well for myself. But he opened up a wrestling school and getting to, to work with him multiple times a week for months on end, um, you know, with him being, you know, still actively on TV, you know, minus the time off for injury and just wrestling at that level with the big stars he was wrestling with was also invaluable and why I credit to him my training. He, he kind of put it all together. Um, I, I, you know, Gene taught me the fundamentals, and I was kind of learning it as I went on my own, but, but Divine really helped me put the psychology point of it together and the why we do this and how we do that, and then kind of made it all make sense. Uh, so he's somebody I really, really credit for my development because I wouldn't have got to the next level of getting you know, international bookings and getting as many opportunities as I did in the U.S. if I wouldn't have had that time 
um, in 2006 to train at his school and under his guidance. Mm-hmm. We're talking with the hotshot Danny Duggan on this edition of Wrestling Memories. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about how the Canadian wrestling elite came together and uh, for which you uh, are, are, are still up and running and going and touring and having fun and returning to Canada and playing all these great shows. Let's go back to the beginning of, uh, of the, of the, of the, 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 the new, what became the nucleus for uh, the Canadian wrestling elite? Because I guess when you started out, there were still multiple promotions within um, the, the province and, uh, and in Winnipeg in general. There was nine promotions in yeah. Winnipeg when I started. Put it mildly. <laughs> right, all in one city, all running 10, 15 minutes from each other. So on, on paper, it didn't sound like the most sound business plan, but if I, maybe I'm being a little too blunt here, most of it was beyond terrible, um, and I didn't <laughs> think had a lot of growth uh, to be had, and that's kind of why I stepped in and decided I wanted to do something. Um, at that point, I'd been wrestling six years. Um, I had done multiple trips across the United States to pretty much every region of the country. Uh, you know, so I saw so many different styles of shows being ran, so many different styles of production, booking, uh, talent. Um, and then I would come back home and just be completely underwhelmed with the events I was wrestling on. Um, you know, there's a lot of great talent here, and that's a, you know a part of the answer on why I started running. Is there's a lot of incredible talent here. But I felt there was no drive or ambition for many of the promoters. They were all very, very comfortable running their one show a month or one show a week, depending on who they were and where they were running, and just wrestling in front of those same fans. There was no effort to promote and get more fans in the building. There was no effort to bring in talent to better the talent that were here locally. There was no effort to network the talent out of country or out of province. So I just felt everything was very was very dormant and there was no nothing was moving you know you're wrestling the same guys every single show in front of the same fans um and that's fun if that's what you want to do um but you know especially that early in my career i was very ambitious and wanted to go places and do things and wrestle different people um and i just felt there was no ambition from any of the promoters here to grow any bigger than they already were um and as someone who had been traveling and seen the talent that was other places i was like we got all the tools right here like we have talent here you know that will completely blow blow the, the guys over the water in other territories that just aren't seen that nobody has heard of because of our location and just not getting the opportunity to network and get out and be seen. Uh, so that's kind of what kind of brought it together. Is I wanted I wanted to present something differently to the marketplace. You know, just taking different tools from the different areas and different regions of the the continent that I worked in and kind of applying them here because I felt they were lacking. And most importantly, just bring in talent to work with our talent so we can continue to get better and continue to grow. Um, It doesn't matter how talented you are in this business. The reality of it is if you don't know the right people saying the right things for you in the right places, it's very, very hard to get ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, there's a lot of incredible Canadian talent um, that just don't get seen because they haven't been in front of the right eyes yet or the right guy hasn't gone to bat for them and gotten them opportunities other places. You could be... You could be one of the most incredible wrestlers in the country, and you could be sending 100 emails to 100 promoters, and you'll be lucky if you get one response, and your package could be completely brilliant. Um, but without someone saying, hey, take a look at my buddy here, he's really good, um, a lot of those opportunities don't come for guys. Um, so we kind of wanted to change that mentality a little bit and bring in talent from other regions to say, hey, these guys are pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe you have a good match with them, and you can say something back home and give them an opportunity, and we can just kind of create an open door for talent to come back and forth from different regions and for our guys to go different places. And that's something we're kind of really proud of because in, in 2009, when we started, guys weren't going anywhere. You know, they'd be lucky if we were getting booked in, you know, Regina once a month or Edmonton once a month, which is pretty normal. You know, if you're a Canadian wrestler, that was kind of a loop you did. You went and did one show a month in each province, you know, in the major market. But other than that, you weren't really getting the opportunity to grow. And since then, I've never actually sat down to track it, but We've had, you know, wrestlers from, from Canada now get the opportunity to wrestle for WWE, Ring of Honor, Japan, Germany, China, England, Mexico, um, and the list goes on. So many guys have gotten the opportunity from impressing and working with talent that have come in through CWE and going, whoa, these guys are really good. We can use them back home. Um, that just never, not, otherwise it would never have happened unless something similar popped up and, and provided that opportunity. And, and nothing has um, you know, in that time, CWE has been running, so it probably would be pretty bleak for a lot of guys. Um, but for the ones that wanted it and were hungry and, and looking for opportunity, all the tools were brought in in terms of talent to learn from, talent to network with, 
And, you know, luckily a lot of guys have taken advantage of that and have gotten international opportunity and made some good money because of it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you got this company together, you've, you've been putting on shows, but I mean, putting on a, a massive multi-city, multi-provincial uh, tour, I mean, that is uh, ambitious, but what, me, what, 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 when, when did you decide to put your toes in the water and decide to, to take it out of that, the, the, the Winnipeg area and to get things set up and uh, work a circuit that, that has taken you guys up and down the, the country or all across the country, I should say, uh, since your inception? I think a part of it is just kind of how I broke into the business. Um, you know, I started with, you know, early on with a company called the Canadian Wrestling Federation that toured across the country doing Indian reservations. So we would go on the road sure. for, you know, a few weeks or a month at a time, and we would just go and do a loop of those. Um, I've done Tony Candelo's infamous Northern Death Tour way up North Canada where you're doing different reserves on the sure. ice roads every... So it's just a completely different culture up here in Canada than, than you know, American wrestlers are used to. So when you kind of get ingrained in that early on, you kind of you know you kind of aspire to have more than you know that once a month wrestling show that a lot of guys run because you see the opportunity and you see the money that can be made when you're wrestling consistently. And unfortunately, you know unless you're in WWE, there's not a lot of full time work anywhere where you can make a living as a pro wrestler. Um, well, there is now I guess with you know a couple different TV organizations that are on national television, but you know back but even back then like that that was it. It was national TV or bust. You know there was you know there wasn't a sufficient source of revenue for a pro wrestler on the independent circuit because everybody was running once a month so you'd get one show a week if you were lucky um and once you've been on the road and you've been wrestling every day and you've gotten a taste of that you know you kind of want to do it all the time it's a great way to make a living it's a painful way to make a living (laughs) but it's a it's a real fun way to live your life especially as a young man being on the road and just having fun and not having responsibilities and things like that back stage of your life it's, it's a great it's a great learning tool and it teaches you many life skills that you otherwise wouldn't learn probably through any education or other you know other means of work um so it's just a whole culture that just wraps you up that you want to be a part of so luckily I, I got a lot of those opportunities in those first six years i was wrestling for other companies to be on the road and do different things and realistically um especially here in canada the events that typically do the best in terms of revenue and attendance and things of that nature are usually the small towns that are kind of isolated mm-hmm. from the major markets because there's nothing going on here. Um, you know, for your American listeners not familiar with our geography, you know, in the U.S. you can take a major city, Minneapolis, Chicago, Nashville, Boston, you know, pick, pick one on the map. You can find 10 other major cities within a five-hour drive, um, and they're all highly populated and there's a lot going on. Here in Canada, you pick the, you know the the major city or the city center. You'll be lucky if you you know have to drive less than five to six, seven, eight hours to get to another major city with more than a hundred thousand people in it. You know, a lot of times these towns are just hours and hours apart. Just not feasible to be going big city to big city like you traditionally would in you know the U.S. markets or you know what you know traditional concert touring and things of that nature do. Um, so you've got to get to those small towns in between just to make it viable because you would never make it to the major markets before you know spending all your money on gas before you got there. So you know we started doing a lot of these smaller towns more so as a necessity you know because we've seen the success of them when they were done you know as standalone shows prior um but once starting to put together the tours your initial thought in the infancy of it is like oh we're gonna do the major markets we're gonna do winnipeg brandon regina saskatoon edmonton and you've got dreams of doing the big cities and the big markets just like all the concert tours that come through Mm -hmm. and all the different entertainment acts that come through um but then you realize you know the the economics of independent don't necessarily support it that same way and you got to be making money along the way to make sure you're getting to those big cities so then you start doing the smaller markets in between um and you know these towns are five thousand people ten thousand people and that's on the high end a lot of them are you know in between or less than that um but then you're surprised and you find out that those are the ones that do more successfully than the cities that got a million in them because there's nothing else going on it's hours from a major city so people aren't typically doing the drive every weekend or every month so when something big comes to their town, whether they're a wrestling fan or not, it's a spectacle. It's an event coming to town, and everybody comes out and supports it. And mm-hmm. it's a special night out for the community. They all come together, and they do something fun. And, you know, we have some fun doing our thing and, and hope to leave a positive impression. So we'll get them to come on back the next time we come through, and then usually do. And that's kind of how the touring kind of came together, is we just started piece by piece and realize that if we're going to get from one end of this country to the next, we're going to have to start doing some smaller markets along the way. And 
it was kind of like a you know a hidden gem that we were unaware of, realizing that's actually what drives the business model and makes it more successful than you know the major markets ever could for us. Mm-hmm. So what is it like too? I mean, you're you're going on these tours. You've brought in some veterans and stuff. What what is that like going into those small Canadian towns, smaller Canadian towns with, with with a legend as somebody they've seen and they've on TV? I mean, there there has to be some jaws that get dropped in some of those uh, smaller areas when you bring a person with a little more name recognition along with the the guys and gals that you have in your company. Oh, most definitely. You know, like we've probably had close to 100 former WWE TV stars that have come up through Canada now. But when you think of some of the most prominent ones, like your Jake the Snake Roberts or legends from that era, you know, Demolition, Tito Santana, the Honky Tonk Man, um, you know, guys of that era. And, and there's many other great success stories that we've had from other eras as well. But, you know, those ones stand out to me specifically because that's an era everybody was watching professional wrestling. So if you were, you know, alive and, and functional while those guys were on TV, you know who they are, whether you're a wrestling fan or not. Um, so even in the major Canadian markets, those guys coming to a small event is a big deal um, because back back when the WWF was, was running full tilt, they would come only a couple times a year, and it was always in the arena. It was always with 20 other thousand people there. And it wasn't very intimate. You weren't getting an opportunity to run into these guys and get an autograph and meet them. So, you know, even in the major markets, these guys coming through and doing a smaller intimate event with the meet and greet, it's like the Rolling Stones coming through town because it's an opportunity to meet a hero that you never otherwise saw you'd get a chance to do. Now you bring that to a small town that's completely off the map and, you know, two, three, four, five hours from a major city, that's multiplied times 100 because these guys, you know, in no other world would be coming through small town Manitoba where you get an opportunity to see them at your community center 10 minutes from your house. Um, if you lived in those towns, if you wanted to see one of these guys, you're getting in the car and you're driving and you're sitting with those other 20,000 people in the arena watching them. You weren't getting an opportunity to see them and see them at your local restaurant and your local gym mm-hmm. and, you know, having them come to the show where you actually can sit and have a conversation with them and then see them on the live event itself where they're interacting with you more intimately than they ever could in an arena. Uh, so that's that's a big part of why our business model has been driven so much by that because you go into these small towns and it's it's something special. You know they they really appreciate it and they respect what you're doing when you bring these people to your town because there's not a lot of other industries um, that I can think of even in the sports industry. You know, you know sports are you know hockey's popular up here, football's popular up here. Those guys aren't going to the small towns. You're not getting an NHL player going to visit small towns, Saskatchewan or small town Alberta or you know, even the CFL players, you're not getting those those intimate connections. So when you're getting a you know a global name coming to your town, the people appreciate the effort, and they usually show the support in return. Oh, most most definitely, and you know, you you've dealt with so many legends, and I I have to think that the good times outweigh the bad. I mean, you've had to deal with a few, but the promoters cap on. I I have to, and I and I remember there's a few things, but I want to talk about a couple, uh, two two different wrestlers from uh, with two different situations. I want to talk about first. Uh, dealing with uh, Brutus Beefcake, and also uh, on the other side of things, I remember reading about this, uh, life on the road can get a bit dangerous. Uh, your incident uh, with, with psychosis, uh, you guys uh, risking life and limb. First of all, well, let's talk Brutus, and then we'll get to the psychosis story, because that's a little more heartwarming at the end. Yeah, well, uh, the Brutus story, um, you know, like you said, we've had probably close to 100 former TV wrestlers here, you know, that have ranged from the 80s, 90s, you know, to modern day that have been through, you know, the CWE ring and on the CWE road schedule. Um, you know, Brutus is probably one of maybe, you know, a couple I can think of who had a negative experience while here. And unfortunately, that's, you know, reciprocated on our part on our dealings with him. Um, we brought him here for, I think he was here for a 21 day tour. The short of it is, for those not familiar with the story, he was scheduled for 21 days. Um, the couple days prior to him getting on the tour, uh, he tried to hold us up money for an advance, which was you know unprofessional to start with mm-hmm. and unreasonable. We came to a compromise to get him here, um, and once here, it was just a nightmare, you know, day in and day out. You know, there were there were times where he was pleasant, but those times were few and far between. Um, but ultimately, it came to a head um, where the agreement we had. You know, he was supposed to come here and do the tour. The agreement we ended up agreeing at at the last minute so he could actually get on his plane would be that he would be paid for four shows up front. So he was never owed any money, which no one ever has been working for CWE. Everyone has always been paid. All hundred of those those TV stars have been paid and will vouch for that and did vouch for that. 
you know, when this did happen. Um, you know, so he, he conned us. He, he got his four days up front. So when it came to the final four days of the tour, he was already paid up. So he got on a plane in the middle of the night, didn't tell anybody, and went home with, you know, four events pocketed. Um, and leaving us without a headliner going into four of our, you know, new markets uh, that we're expecting to see Bruce the Barber Beefcake, who didn't, you know, and then as a result that, you know, falls back on us as the promoter and the company mm-hmm. and our image and not necessarily him. Um, but that's kind of the short of the story. Um, you know, if you want to get into the meat of it, it was just, you know, just all around very rough experience. There's some people in life that are just never going to be happy no matter what you're doing for them and how much you're providing for them. And unfortunately, he's somebody that falls into that category. Um, that we did our very best to, to take care of him the same way we try to take care of everybody that comes in. Um, and I believe maybe he was a little too big for his britches in the sense that maybe he had grander visions of what he thought a Canadian wrestling tour might be, um, which is surprising to me because he, you know, he is somebody who's been around the block long enough and done a lot of these markets before yeah. in previous organizations. Uh, but the reality of you know roughing it, toughing it out on the road on the Canadian highways is you know that's that's just the that's just the, the way it, that rolls. You know, when you talk about going to small towns, not every town has a Marriott in it. Not every town has a five-star hotel. Sometimes exactly. sitting at the local, you know, motel inn, because that's literally all there is, you know. And unfortunately, that wasn't necessarily always up to his standard. And uh, I'm sure if it was on his tab, it would have been just fine. But because it was coming out of ours, he, you know, always wanted a little more than he was given. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, it was a very negative experience you know, for the majority of us that had to deal with him. And unfortunately, it was a negative experience for him having to deal with us. So luckily, we'll just never do it again and call it even. Yep. Lay it out there like that. Uh, I want to talk about uh, this, this this car ride you had with psychosis, this uh, this accident you had. Uh, where what? How, I mean, this was one of those things where I'm thankfully thankfully you guys uh, made it out. I mean, there were some bumps and bruises in the road, but let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, psych- having psychosis in Canada was pretty impressive in itself. But let's talk a little bit about this uh, while we have the chance. Well, uh, you know. The fact that I'm sitting here talking to you having this interview today is a blessing because I very well could have gone the other way that day. And thank God I did not. And, you know, thank God for psychosis and Robin Lakeem and, and those that helped me that day. Uh, you know, it was the end of a tour. I think we were doing 32 days. I think we had one or two shows left. And we were on the northern Ontario highways, which are just brutal. Um, just the, the highway conditions, the the curvature of the highway like it's, it's rough driving it's a one-lane highway up in the wilderness it's, it's not safe to begin with um you know and on this day we were we were faced with a pretty heavy rainstorm that was coming down and uh you know typically i drive my own car uh, on these tours because i like to be in control of where i go and when i get there and have a couple guys travel with me and uh, on this day specifically there's a lot of work that had to be done for the event that was coming up so i asked the trade places with one of the guys I was driving with um, because it wasn't safe for me to you know work on my phone while driving so I asked if he could switch over so I could, you know get some administrative done on the way to that event and you know he was gracious enough to take over um, but unfortunately he's you know from Belgium and I don't think he was quite prepared for the severity of the road conditions and maybe he was a little a little um, what's the word I'm looking for um, <laughs> we didn't have a good a good notion of, of how dangerous the roads could he didn't be. have a good lay of the lay of the situation he was uh, it, yeah so you know it wasn't it wasn't due to any you know um, ill intent on his behalf but I think you know just trying to get to the event he felt he could maybe drive a little bit quicker around a certain vehicle to get to, to where we were going oh. um, and I remember uh, he, was, he was coming down really hard and uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, was, I was driving a Monte Carlo at the time, which is a great sports car, but not the best in the rain. And uh, we, were, we were behind a vehicle, and he was going to pass. And I remember him going, getting ready to go out, and I was like, no, don't do it. But he already hit the, he already hit the gas on it. Oh. And, he, and he went to hit it, and sure enough, he just slid out, hitting some water. And uh, we ended up turning over. I think it was reported, like, we, we, we tipped over about three times, rolling over before we ended up upside down in a ditch, um, which would have been brutal enough as it was. But unfortunately, due to the heavy rain, this ditch was full of water. Um, so psychosis was in the back seat. Robin was in the, the driver's seat, and I was in the, the passenger seat. And uh, I just remember they, they got out very quickly. Um, they got out very quickly through the, the driver's side, and I was trying to get out of my side 
but due to the crash, my seatbelt was jammed. Oh, no. So I was now upside down in this water with the car starting to fill up, trying to keep my head above the water while frantically trying to get the seatbelt off, um, realizing very quickly it wasn't coming off, um, which was just an absolutely terrifying feeling that I hope nobody in the world ever has to deal with. Um, just knowing you're trapped and feeling mm. helpless. There, there's a feeling in your soul that you never want to have to replicate again because it, it felt like game over. And, uh, you know, I'm screaming for help. Like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And psychosis was, you know, he, he helped keep me alive, luckily, until further help came because he was holding my seat down for me so I can get my head above the water because I was the car was completely filling up and I was drowning underneath. Um, so he was holding the seat to give me some extra room to keep my face above the water while I still tried to figure out the seatbelt. Um, you know, but eventually the water started to, you know, overcome that and fill up the entire car. And it's a scary thought. I just had a child, you know, four months prior to that. I had my first baby. And, uh, I could, you know, they say in the movies, you know, in the movies they'll show, you know, your life flashing right before your eyes. And that's exactly what happened. I just remember her face flashing before my eyes and thinking oh. I'm never going to see my daughter again. And, you know, just starting to cry as that water continued to fill up the car and I couldn't breathe. And that was the last thing I remember before going unconscious, you know, thinking that's it, it's oh done. And, uh, you know, moments later I came to, um, luckily because I guess a fellow stopped on the side of the road who saw what happened and he happened to have a knife or something. I think he had a knife and he was able to cut the, the seatbelt and they were able to drag me out and get me to land. Um, you know, and luckily get some oxygen into me and, and keep me alive. But, you know, if it wasn't for that joint effort of, you know, the boys keeping me afloat up until then and then that fellow coming out and cutting me out, it, uh, this phone call wouldn't be happening today. <sighs> so very, very thankful to the man above. Absolutely, very much so. And, I mean, you had you had that accident. I mean, it wasn't all that long after or before. It was, well, and, and AJ had his accident too. I mean, you guys are both yeah. very grateful for, for being uh, still here with us. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like when I think about it, like the amount of time we put on the road. Like I've been in a couple bad accidents over the years. Unfortunately, fortunately, that was the only one that was you know near fatal. Um, but I've been in some pretty bad car wrecks where the cars hadn't made it out. Luckily, I did. Um, it's it's amazing to me um, that it doesn't happen more often to wrestlers, and I'm thankful for that. But you know, even in the states, you know, when I was down there, the size like we're doing long drives. You know, we're doing ten, twelve hour drives by ourselves sometimes. Sometimes overnight, you're getting a little tired. You know, luckily, you know, you're smart enough to know when it's time to pull in and take a nap or when you need to stop for a coffee. But mm-hmm. it's it's crazy to me that there isn't more car wrecks in, in pro wrestling, just, you know, on the independent level, just to the you know, because of the nature of how many hours you put on the road. And, you know, that, that, that is something I usually wear as a badge of honor, the amount of time we put on the road, because it's something that a lot of people can't do and a lot of people can't handle. Um, but the reality of it is it's, it's pretty scary, you know, to know the amount of time we're driving and the lack of sleep we're driving with sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so luckily there's someone looking out for wrestlers out there because, you know, there should be more, just based on the sheer amount of hours that are put in on these long drives, oh, there yeah, should the- be more accidents like that that luckily don't happen. The crazy <laughs> hours that these guys have been, you guys going up and down these roads. But speaking of up and down these roads, we're going to get on this final segment here of the show. We got to talk a little bit about what you're uh, back in the great country, back in the CWA tour, and you got yourself a gimmick. You got yourself something nice. Uh, looks like uh, since you've come back from the United States, uh, looks like them. Uh, I saw a picture. It was, was looked like some uh, stars and stripes Zubaz thing going on there. What's going on with this gimmick as you hit the road and talk about some of the things that are coming up here with the CWE? Well, it's no secret to anyone who follows me on social media. I have not been happy with the government of Canada um, over these last two and a half years. And that's a big part of why I left seven months ago and went and relocated down to the United States. Um, you know, just from a political standpoint, I, you know, I feel this country's a mess. Uh, the way it handled COVID was a disaster. Uh, you know, it put many people mm-hmm. like myself, many family members of mine, many friends of mine in a, in a very bad place. Um, you know, with, you know, very excessive um, and abusive restrictions and mandates that weren't being duplicated in many other parts of the world, um, but were very severely integrated into our society here to a detriment. Yeah. You know, that put a lot of people out of business, put a lot of people out of work. Um, you know, so it, it got to a point of frustration where it was just time for me to go um, because it was a very toxic environment being here. Um, 
you know, being down in the U.S. was, you know, an eye-opener to how crazy it really was up here in Canada because in the seven months I was down there, it was life as normal. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you know, yes, COVID existed, and, and yes, it was something people were taking seriously, but they were given the right to choose on how they wanted to live their life, if they wanted to wear a mask, not wear a mask, if they wanted to open their business, close their business. Here we weren't given any of those choices. It was just like you're going to sit down and you're going to be starved out. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned early on in this conversation, as someone who made their living, you know, being on the road in front of live audiences, you know, almost every day of the year, you know, it became, it became quite frustrating and angering to have that taken away when there was justifiable science and reasoning on why we could continue with what we're doing and we didn't have to be suffering as much as we were, um, you know, but based on government protocol, we had to continue down a path um, that wasn't, wasn't helping anybody and didn't put us any further ahead than any other country. So it got to a point where I simply had to get out, you know, based, you know for I think for mental health reasons first and foremost, of the toxic environment that was created here and hostility that was created amongst mm-hmm. people um, being you know pitted against each other for either wanting to open up or not open up um, but ultimately to survive you know like I said you know this is how I make a living down there I was able to get right back into it and wrestle you know sometimes three four times a week with zero restrictions full capacity crowds and business as usual um, so I was able to provide for me and my family again which was the priority so that was, you know, a big driving force on why going back down there, you know, and I, I've returned, you know, as things have opened up on a local level or on a regional level where we're able to produce live events again. So I'm excited about that because I do, you know, value what we built and what we can build here, even though I'm skeptical of what that looks like in the future with the way the economy is shaken out. Um, you know, but that's a part of, you know, you, you know, you said gimmick or persona. It's really not, I, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a reality. Sure. I'm very disappointed in, in Canadians. This is a country I've been very proud to be a part of, um, you know, my entire career. I've proudly waved that Canadian flag as a Canadian wrestler representing this country for so long. And, you know, to see so many people bow down and just take what's given to them at a detriment to the, you know, their family and their friends and the people around them was very heartbreaking to see. You know, you try to understand it to a certain level, but to see people, you know, completely get starved out and have, you know, friends commit suicide because of lockdown depression and and things of that nature, you start to get a little angry with people for not seeing the bigger picture and only thinking about themselves. So, uh, you know, I went down to America. I loved life down there, and and I've come back up here, and I'm still loving that American life, and I'm going to preach it to everybody that will listen, and if they don't want to listen, I'm going to, you know, yell even louder to let them know. They were wrong, because that's exactly what they were. Oh. Okay, now, before we uh, head out uh, today, it's been really cool catching up with you, man. Um, you got any upcoming uh, stuff you want to promote? Uh, where can we get a hold of you? Stuff like that. All the uh, necessary uh, bits of information that go with getting yourself and keeping your name out there. We are booked up literally every weekend starting next week till the end of summer. So if you are in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, or Ontario, there is live professional wrestling coming to your community or very close to it. So you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at CWE Canada. All those dates are listed. we got dates starting next week here in Manitoba, and then we're going throughout all those prairie provinces and Ontario immediately following that. So there's lots of wrestling going on each and every week. We've got stars starting to come back into the country. We've got former WCW Tag Team Champion Big Vito here in Manitoba next week. And then two weeks after the fact, we've got WWE legend and five-time WWF World Tag Team Champion Erwin R. Scheister coming to Canada for independent wrestling for the first time ever. And we'll be announcing somebody very shortly for our Alberta return in June as well. Oh, that sounds like a bunch of fun. And hey, living so close to the border, I, I, I'm going to be up there a couple of times uh, over the next couple of months. So hopefully I'll be up there when there's a wrestling event and I can check out uh, what you guys have to offer with the CWE. Danny Duggan, oh, it's good to finally be able to talk with you, my friend. I look forward to doing it again. All right. For Danny Duggan, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.